Okay, we're going to talk about a people of faith this time. We're still going to be in 1 Kings 17. So if you've got a Bible and it's good to get back there, uh, we'll again refer to it. Uh, maybe we read a bit more this time, the chapter. But I, I, what I want to do is spend the next, uh, yeah, we, we've got time. We might have time, to, I hope, to pray for folk at the end. But I want to spend the next 40 to 45 minutes talking about faith um, and looking at that subject in Elijah and actually a little bit with the widow of Zarephath who comes into this story as well. I think it's important that God, just to understand that God can only really use people of faith. In Hebrews 11 and verse 6, which is not on the PowerPoint, so just to, to say, I'll just read it to you. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. There's a fundamental aspect of faith which is just encapsulated in that verse that you come to God not with an if and a maybe, but you believe in God. You believe he exists. You believe he's the answer to your need. You don't have to believe all the stuff and understand all the doctrine and get it. It's a living thing. It's a dynamic of your own spirit and heart. But you know what you think. God, you are the only hope I've got. You're the answer. And then it says, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So there's an element of faith, which is, I know that if I keep seeking God, this must be where the answer lies. Somehow God's going to provide the breakthrough, the answer I need. That you, 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 you believe him and you seek him and not believe he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What I want to say straight away with Hebrews 11 in my mind, we're not going to read it, just having it open there is enough for me. We need to realize that faith people are not necessarily perfect people. They're not people that get everything right, do everything right. They're not necessarily even particularly strong people in their own right, like people of really strong will. When you look at the heroes in Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith, it's actually full of people with glaring weaknesses, quite significant weaknesses. Abraham, who is perhaps one of the greatest examples of faith, seems to have a lying problem. He, I mean, he lies two or three times at very very key moments in his life. And he's actually not that great in being head of his household. He allows himself to be persuaded by his wife to go for the whole Hagar incident, which is a, a whole thing that would have been like what would have happened in the world. In Ur of the Chaldees, we now know from archaeologists that wealthy families could have in effect what we might call surrogate mothers, that the, uh, they couldn't have children, the, the, the the, the maid of the wife could be considered as a, as a surrogate mother and it was a legitimate offspring and a proper son of the father. It was a sort of contrived, worldly way of getting a kid if you were infertile. And so actually, they went right off from God's way to, to the old way they knew from Ur of the Chaldees. That's not brilliant, is it? Yet actually, it's described as a man of faith. Then you've got people like Noah who got drunk. You've got Jacob who's a treat, cheat. You've got Moses who lost his temper. You've got people like Samson, Rahab, Jephthah. I mean, I'm not even going to go into the details of what some of them have got up to. And yet they're described. So why are they described as people of faith? Because fundamentally, somewhere or other, they broke through with God. Abraham's a very good example. He did do well. But all through his ups and downs, he held on to God. And even when he went down, he came back up again. So he, he held on that somewhere God is the only real answer for my, my situation. 
in a sense, he was faithful, but don't misinterpret that as meaning he got everything right, because none of them did. But they were faithful. That meant they kept earnestly seeking God. They knew that God and his promises were the only hope. And all through their lives, they were people who hung on to God. Now, that is real faith. It's much more raw than we sometimes get the impression, just listening to theoretical talks about it. It's really trusting God. It's really believing God's got answers. It's believing God will keep his promises, which Abraham did in the end. But actually, it doesn't mean you have a perfect track record. Abraham did believe God would keep his promise, but he had a few hiccups on the way. Now, they're written down for our example, and we're going to learn from one of them, and in a sense from two of them, briefly this morning. We're going to learn from Elijah, and we're also going to learn a little bit from the widow, if I have time, because I feel she's, we're not going to spend long on her, but in a way, I'd like to spend a whole talk on her, but I'm not. But, you know, in a way, she, she tells us something else too. So if you get back to chapter 17, let's pick up the story. We've read about him coming up. Verse 2 of 117, uh, 1 Kings 17. Now the word of the Lord came to Elijah. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Just notice that. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook. I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I can have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, Oh, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. We'll stop there for a moment, and we'll pick up if we get time with the widow in a minute. Remember, Elijah is a man just like us. So humanly speaking... How did this all work out, this great story of Elijah? Well, things like this. Faith, prayer, obedience to God's word, bold proclamation of that word, of God's word. Now, there are actually things that are available for everybody in this room. You don't have to be like a giant character with really strong willpower, have all this and that to be successful in God, to, to, to see God move in your life. You move in a way Elijah moved, praying earnestly, learning faith, because I believe Elijah grew in faith. I think actually most of the heroes of faith grew in faith. I think Abraham grew in faith. The Abraham who was able to take his, what was probably by then a nearly teenage son Isaac, up a hill and know that even if he killed Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. 
That is a very different man from the man who says, yeah, we're not getting a baby, are we? All right, let's send me Hagar. We'll see what we can do. You know, that is a very different guy. And I think he grew in faith. And I think that actually it's the same with all of them. And Elijah too. I think he prayed earnestly, saw the water thing. You know, the, and, and he's learning in this chapter to trust God more. And then we get to car, 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 not caramel, caramel. And uh, there, it's, a, it's a, a, a sort of a giant of faith, you might feel. But I think he grew all the way through. And the same resources are available for us. Let's just look at a few of them quickly, how he, how he, what, he, what we can learn. So the first one's faith and obedience. Thank you. Elijah's faith-filled obedience was in the word of God. Now we get that. Um, uh, I, I, I don't, I, I'll flick it up quickly. Thanks. James 5. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. Prayed earnestly, it wouldn't rain. Prayed again, and the heavens gave rain. I probably should have put that verse up. It's my fault, not yours, earlier when I was saying what I was saying. Elijah basically was a man who believed God's word and applied it to his life. And that is a key with faith, that we are people who listen to God seriously and take him seriously. If you take God seriously, God will begin to take you seriously. He'll begin to listen to you. Look at this verse from John 15. This is Jesus' teaching, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. That's outrageous. I mean, I've not fully understood that, to be honest. Ask whatever you wish? I mean, I, I, I honestly don't fully understand that. But I do see it as having a sort of condition, which is not for me trying to... I'm not trying to water down this incredible promise from God's word. But it's saying, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you see, if that's true, what you ask will inevitably be somehow in the flow of God's word and God's will. So it's not like you ask whatever you wish. Oh, yeah, I wish for a brand new Mustang. I wish for the biggest house in Fredericton. You know, I wish for, well, it's not like here's a wish list. Ask it and you'll get it like the genie in the lamp. Oh, my master. Yes, says God. Have this Mustang. Woo, ping, have this house. No, actually, it doesn't work like that. It's if you remain in me and my words remain in you. It gets a dynamic where you are drawing from God and listening to him and his word is remaining in you. And out of that, you bring your prayer. Rather like we've already seen, Elijah's praying out of the word. He's praying rooted in his relationship with God. And he begins to listen to God and he begins to obey God. Now, we've read it. We'll just go back and have it in front of us. It says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah and he obeyed it. So faith has a lot to do with obeying God's word. Obeying the obvious stuff, what is clear in the Bible, but also sometimes the thing God calls us to do. We trust and obey him. Now, actually, God's demands, as it were, on Elijah were quite uncomfortable ones. If we just put up... 1 Kings 17, 24. You could read it for yourself, but it saved you turning the page. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, hide in the Kerith ravine. You will drink from the brook, and I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. Right. Actually, that is quite an uncomfortable thing. <laughs> First of all, he's going to go and live in a deep gorge, which is probably quite lonely and odd place to live. He's going to drink from a brook. That may be okay. Water's probably very clean. But ravens are going to feed him. Now, he's a devout follower of God. We've already seen that he would have known his Pentateuch. That would have been his Bible. Let's just have a quick look at a verse from Leviticus 11. Leviticus 11, verses 13 to 15. 
These are the birds you are to detest and not eat because they're detestable. The eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, and any kind of black kite, and any kind of raven. Now, he's not going to eat the ravens, but if you're a holy man or a good, good godly Israelite, don't have to put it up on a pedestal, you know that unclean things make unclean things. So, you know, if ravens bring you food, apart from the fact that's fairly gross anyway, you, you've actually got... You know, you want to cook it well, don't you? If a raven, if you're going to eat what a raven's, I, I would want to cook that pretty well, to be honest. Really cook it. I mean, like your bacon, you know, it really needs proper cooking. <laughs> but <laughs> crispy cooking, yeah. Cook till it burns. That's what I'd want to do if a raven brought me a bit of meat. And, and, and to be honest, you, you, you know, actually, you've got another problem. Ravens are unclean animals, and your ravens are feeding me. Now, God ordained it. And he knew God had said, this is a really unusual thing. I'm calling you. You're going to trust me. You're going to live in this ravine. You're going to drink from this brook. And you're going to find that your source of supply is every day ravens are going to turn up and drop what they've managed to find. Oh, great. You know, and you're going to eat it. Now, I'm sure it wasn't too bad. I'm sure God made sure he had a fairly balanced diet. But, you know, hey, not the most delightful thing to experience. So God's... Word, God's word, obeying God and following him isn't always comfortable. It's not always going to take you into... But I think Elijah is learning to hear God and obey him. Because when it gets to Mount Carmel, he's going to go right out on a limb. And he's learning in these difficult, awkward things that you just have to trust God and say, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Eat raven's leftovers. Fine. So then we get to the next bit. God says it's going up. John, uh, 1 Kings 17. Uh, verses 8 and 9, then the word of the Lord came to him again. So this is God's word. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Well, this is a, this is a stage better than a raven anyway, but actually only just because Zarephath is 100 miles away. So he's got 100 miles, whatever it is in kilometers, journey, you know, about half the way back to Halifax, I should think. It's going a long way. That's, that's the start. And actually, Sidon is in Eth. Baal's territory. Jezebel's dad rules in Sidon. That is Jezebel's dad's territory because she's a Sidonian princess who's married Ahab and her dad is Ethbal and he's a really nasty piece of work. So you're going right into enemy territory. You are going within a few miles of his capital and then you're going to be fed by one of the poorest people in the place. One of Ethbal's subjects who's a poor widow. Okay, stage better, but still a bit puzzling. You know, God will lead you through things that are puzzling. This is puzzling. Ravens? I mean, it'd be nice if it was doves, but, you know, maybe you've got a more balanced diet with ravens. But the, 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 in the end, you know, this is puzzling. If I, do I need to go to Zarephath to get fed? Do I need to go right into Ethbal's territory? They're the people I, I'm, I'm, they're, they're the people are ruining our country. And I'm supposed to go there. But he obeyed. And I believe God will often call you to do things that are unusual. You don't have to look far. Just read your Bible. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That is not a comfortable thing to obey, is it? You know, sometimes we can dress it all up. Oh, you know, God asked me to do a really difficult thing. I don't know, walk a tightrope across the lake or something grand. But actually, what about stuff that's obvious? You know, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Give, and it will be given to you. Now, you can take that for money, and that's a good thing to take. Sometimes the challenge is, I haven't got 
I've only got this left. Well, you give what you've got and God will bless you. But you actually can take it in other areas. You know, what about friendship? I'm lonely. Nobody speaks to me. Well, you go out and speak to people. You go out of your shy little prison and just do it. Give and it will be given to you. These things aren't comfortable. They're not comfortable. What about the sexual morality in the Bible? It's not comfortable to obey that in modern 21st century world. When you say, I'm going to keep celibate or virgin till I'm married, and I'm, you know, we're going to get married when we're in our early 20s. My, my own daughter did that. And you know, she's at university, her husband's at university. Everybody, but everybody criticized them. You think they'd be pleased. But then, what are you doing? You've got a career, you know, da 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 da, da. All the non Christian world. Even when she went, Esther, to get her hair done for the wedding, the guy, the hairdresser said, What are you doing? You're ruining your life. Why are you getting married at your age? I said, What are you talking to her? She did that. I mean, he felt he'd want to go around there and stick his head, you know, down the sink. <laughs> Put the, turn the hot water on hot. But, uh, but uh, say, you, you know, he's saying, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you going to get your head? We're getting married at your age. Well, you know, so you, that's not how young people behave. So you have to obey, and it looks daft sometimes. That's the obvious stuff. But sometimes God says weird things, like to Peter, let down your nets. We've been fishing all night. Let down your nets. You just know God said, do it. You know, and, and I'm not going to make even examples because sometimes you can't make rules on this stuff. It's stuff that God, you know God's saying to do the, the ob, not the obvious thing. Go to Zarephath and a widow's going to feed you is not the obvious thing. Now, I think Elijah is growing in faith. So let's talk about that out of this. Faith grows. I believe all through, that's the next point, all through he's growing in his obedience and he's growing to a point where he'll be able to stay on Mount Carmel and, uh, and stand on Mount Carmel and see real breakthrough. When he's in Kerith, it's a deep ravine, and he's totally shut into God and thrown back on God. Now, sometimes we can all experience that. We can experience times when it's very lonely. And that's the Kerith experience, where you just can't communicate with anybody else. You're just hanging on to what God said to you. And you will be growing in faith. That will be your experience. Most of us have some point of a valley experience, some Kerith-type experience, where we're just hanging on in God. God said to go here, and I've got here, and it's lonely. And the place where God's taken me is quite a difficult testing place to be. But even there, sometimes it can begin to get worse. He's sitting there. He's eating the raven's food, which is, as I say, questionable. And then suddenly, well, not suddenly, I guess over a few days, the brook begins to dry up. Now, he can see the brook drying up. He's not a fool, but he has no other instruction from God. And it says that God came, the word of God came to him when the brook dried up. So, like, he's out there. I mean, it might be a nice little brook at first, and it's getting down to a trickle, and it's a little bit of a muddy trickle. And, <clears throat> yeah, Lord, uh, not much water in there this morning. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it says when the brook dried up. And, you know, sometimes that can be like us. You just feel, I'm shut in, and it's getting dry. And you just have to hang on to God. God has taken you there. You know you're in the will of God. You know you followed God best you know how. Think, have I rebelled? Have I sinned? No, I'm sure God brought me to this. I'm here, and the brook is drying up now. I'm not even getting the water I expected. And yet, I know that I'm where God took me. Sometimes, you just hang on. Somebody said a commentary on this was, we must be careful to put our faith in the word, meaning the word of God, not in the water. 
So, you know, he didn't take his lead from the water. He took his lead from the word. That's a good point. So he's, he's trusting God's word, not whether it's comfortable, really. The water, when the water's here, it's fine. Now the water's drying up. It's not so good. Maybe God does that to just test us. Sometimes, you know, I think, oh, great. Well, actually, I'm afraid that's true. Sometimes there just is a testing. But actually, you will pass the test if all you do is say, I'm hanging on to obey your word, Lord. I'm not going to shift from that. And God will draw us on and take us on to the next place. Don't rush prematurely until you know what God said. That's what I'd say from the gorge. He could have prematurely rushed off, but don't. Because God will show you the next stage. There will be a change. It came as the brook dried up. God said, move on to Ethbal's territory, which was itself quite strange. So when he gets there, he's told the widow is going to feed him. It's great. So this looks good one. You turn up. Okay, it's been a bit of a long journey. It's Ethbal's territory. Oh, there's a widow collecting water. There's a widow. Speaks to the widow. God said, I've got a widow ready for you. Speaks to her. And what does she say? Here it goes. Verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. <laughs> he said, oh, you're supposed to be feeding me. <laughs> God's word, feed me. You know, bread, please. I'm here, Elijah. I believe you're expecting me. As surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Right. So how is Elijah going to react to that? Is he a man who trusts God or not? I haven't got enough food for you. I've not even got enough food. We're going to die. We're dying. We're all, we're all dying. I think his reply is magnificent. And this is faith. He not only trusts God, but he brings faith to others. That's great. Look at his reply. 1 Kings 17, 13 to 14. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me and what you have. Bring it to me. Something then for yourself and your son. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. He prophesies. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. That's easy to read the story afterwards. Say, oh, yeah, yeah, it was easy. It's not easy. Elijah is a man of faith. Even when the circumstances seem to fly in the face of what he's doing, he says, look, okay, don't be afraid. He strengthens her. Not only is God going to do what he said for me, it's going to bless you as well. God's going to feed me and he's going to feed you. And so I think people of faith are not just self-centered, isolated people. They're people who strengthen others. They're people who bring hope to others who feel hopeless. This woman is hopeless. She feels without hope. She's a widow. She's got no man to look after. She's got a little son. She, she is without hope. And Elijah not only says, oh, no, you're supposed to be feeding me. Oh, no, we're all going to die. No, Elijah doesn't do that. Elijah says, don't be afraid. God's told me you're actually going to be a source of supply for me, and it's going to feed you as well. It's great. You can be like that. He's just like you. Just like you. As you draw strength in God, you're going to learn in the Kerith Gorge, you know, with the brook drying up, you're going to come to a place, not where you're on Mount Carmel straight away, whoa, seeing the fire, but where you can help others struggling and say, yep, it's a tough time, but I believe God's going to supply my needs and yours. And that is the raw reality of faith. That's why I prefer this, to take the story, because I, I don't want to rubbish what happened on Mount Carmel, but 
But this is more where we're at, most of us. And this is how God teaches us and we grow. It's a magnificent reply. We can often be tempted to give up and uh, look at the human resources. But you just need to trust God. Let his plan unfold. Don't throw aside what God said to you. Don't give up. I've got another little point here. We're thinking about faith growing, okay? Why did God move Elijah around? When I was thinking, preparing this, I thought, why did he move him around? Why did he go from, like, the Kerith to Zarephath? And why did the, you know, it's all a bit, and sometimes our lives can be like that. Like, what is going on here? Why, why is it all smooth and straightforward? I mean, it's great that we get the ravens and the widow, but it would be nice just to have had a fridge provided and I could sit and, you know, if you're going to feed me, do you know, you could beam a fridge down from the 21st century and I could just sit here and have a nice, you know, TV dinner every day. So, you know, why, why, why is it like this? Why is this complexity to our lives? Why is there this movement and this change? Well, do you know, I found help, honestly, I read one old commentary, a guy called F.B. Meyer. I don't know if you've ever um, heard of him. doesn't matter if you hadn't. And I found it quite powerful. So I'm going to try and explain to you very briefly what he says. It's almost his ideas in my words. In the Middle East at this time, in Old Testament times, when they were winemaking, the grape juice had to be repeatedly poured from one vessel to another when they were making wine. Because when grape juice first starts fermenting, it becomes impure and thick, and a thick sediment forms in it. The liquid is carefully poured into another vessel, leaving the sediment behind. This process is repeated several times until all the sediment and the offensive odor that goes with the sediment is completely removed and you have a clear liquid and a beautiful wine. And you cannot and could not at that time avoid doing that. If you left it in one vessel, it got thick and smelly. And you had to pour it from vessel to vessel carefully. And each time you were purifying it until it was clean, clear, beautiful wine. And Maya points out that in Jeremiah 48, if you could put that one up for me, this is referred to in a prophetic statement over Moab that Moab has never been poured. Moab has been at ease from his youth. He's settled on his dregs. He has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into exile. So his taste remains in him and his scent, which I think is a rather polite interpretation is stink is not changed so actually just hold that idea for a actually it's bad not to be moved around to be static and complacent and nothing ever happens nothing goes wrong nobody ever has challenged me everything has been smooth and just like silk from the first day is actually going to make you a smelly christian you will be a smelly christian it's when you are poured from vessel to vessel, you are purified. That's when the sediments got rid of and the smell goes. And if you want to be a taste of good wine with a lovely bouquet, that's a nice aroma, you're going to have some vessel pouring. It just is how it is. You are poured from vessel to vessel. You go from one challenge to another and you think, really, this is quite a process. Could I please just sit still and get okay just sitting here? Nope. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. You are poured from vessel to vessel for your own purity and your own good. And actually, what happens later, it's not on the PowerPoint, in Jeremiah, there's a warning that actually, because he is static, Moab, and won't move, 
God will send poorers to poor him. It's a sort of judgment. God's going to send poorers to poor. Okay, let's let, let God do the pouring. Don't just say, I'm going to, no problems. I always hang on. I'm, I'm not going to allow myself to be moved. I never moved. I've always done, I never, never done anything reckless. Never done. I don't ask you to do things reckless. I'm just asking you to walk with God. And God will sometimes pour you into a Kerib, pour you into a Zarephath. And you think, what is this about? You're becoming beautiful, clean, beautiful smelling wine, lovely aroma. The stink's going. And it happens as he pours you from vessel to vessel. So let's finally look at, for my, finally for Elijah, God's provision and talk about that for a moment. I believe God is your provider. The Lord is your provider. And I have proved it. Marion and I have proved it over the years. God will meet your needs. Not only money, but I mean money. I mean money as well. I mean God will meet your needs. Not always your wants, but your needs. And God will meet your needs in other ways. Your needs of help and support and friendship. Often, almost always, it's through other people. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure will be poured into your lap by other people. So the, the, it's often you've got to be able to receive. You've got to be able to receive physical blessing and kindness, friendship. You've got to be able to receive help. But God will meet your needs. But sometimes, indeed often, he does it. Here's two little things to remember. Surprising and humbling. Because that's what Elijah had to learn, that the provision was from surprising sources, the ravens and the widow, and they actually both were pretty humbling. For a guy who was really into the Pentateuch and red hot for God, the ravens were a bit of an offense. And the widow from Beth Baal's territory was even more offensive, probably. But he had to learn that God will just surprise you and sometimes humble you as you walk with him. But let God surprise you. Let God meet your needs. If you look through the Bible, when God is meeting the needs, and I just feel prophetically to emphasize this for two minutes, for some individuals, maybe for the whole church, often he will use unlikely sources to provide for you. It's just how it works. Not only here with Elijah, think of Pharaoh who, who sort of, um, uh, prov- well, Egypt, that, that, that provided for Israel when they left. They, they, they spoiled the Egyptians. And it was a cr- crazy thing. But why is that? And all that was the resources for building the tabernacle and, and their future came from the Egyptians. Think of Laban, the calculating nasty Laban that God uses to somehow bless and provide for Jacob. If you can come into the New Testament, think of feeding the 5,000 a little boy's lunch. I mean, why didn't Jesus just go kapow and there were 5,000 ready-packed sandwiches? No, a little, a little boy had to bring his lunch and I bet that, that was hard for him. Crumbs, you know, we've got four grandsons, so, you know, they eat. Right, at least he got his lunch. 4,999 other people forgot to bring lunch. He hadn't. So he goes like, and he's going to lose his lunch. Oh, you've got a lunch, bring it up here. So he brings his lunch and he, I'm the only one who brought it. I was going to sit here smiling and laughing at everybody else. And, and, and then, but Jesus multiplies his lunch. And I guess he got as nothing more himself. So, like, that's weird. Why do it that way? Well, that's how God does it. He often takes the resources we've got, you know, the boy's lunch, the widow's oil, the widow's jar, and he provides. As, you know, and he loves doing it. It's just how God is... I've got a tax bill to meet. Fine, go fishing. What? This is Peter. 
When you catch a fish, open its mouth, the money will be in the fish. What's that about? Can't you just put your hand in your pocket, Jesus? <laughs> but, you know, I don't, but somehow you just feel it's like Peter was a fisherman. Peter knew all about fishing. He probably knew, I guess, you don't often find, you know, a month's tax bill in the mouth of a fish. Although some liberal theologians say these fish had very big mouths. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. But they aren't all swimming around with about $100 in their mouth, are they, or whatever it was. You know, you know, come on, forget that. It's just like, actually, for Peter, I reckon that was quite challenging. Right, I've got to go. Th- First of all, I thought I left fishing. Now he told me to go and fish. And look, I know, I've fished all my life. You make money for selling the fish, not from opening their mouths. Oh, what have they got in there? So, but he did it. And Jesus met the bill. And you will find, I'm just talking to you how God is. And this is the Bible. It shows us how it works. How for real people, it very rarely, it's not like Hollywood. It's not like, you know, Star Wars. There's all flashes and zaps and and whoops. It's often like you go and catch a fish and it's got the money in its mouth. Or, oh, a raven's just brought me a hamburger. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, you know it's, uh, it's just like, it's all that sort of weird stuff. And if you think that's weird, just think the God we're dealing with is the God of creation. He's fun. He's weird. He's a little bit bizarre. I mean, look at the colors. Look at the variety. You know, th- think how things work in nature. Why does God, I think God just has fun with it. Why do you, you get all sorts of weird plants and animals, don't you? I mean, they all say they evolve. No, nothing can evolve on lines of some of the things. I mean, the, I've watched gobsmacked on television. You, there's, there's a plant. I remember it's all full of evolution, our television. So they always say it all evolved, it all evolved, it all evolved. But it was one, it was Attenborough on plants in the world. He's a real evolutionist. And he's showing us this plant. Sorry, I can't help but digress. This is a plant. So this is a program which is really absolutely worldly, but it's very good, like interesting, like natural history and all that. There's a plant. So he shows us this plant. And it's got um, a, a, a flower, I suppose is what you describe it. But the flower is like a horrible, dark, not a nice dark, right? It's like, looks like the carcass of a small animal, right? So the flower looks like almost the ribs of a little rabbit or a lamb. It's, it's got dark, so it looks like the carcass. It does, it does look like that. And he says, which we have to believe, that it has the smell of rotting meat. So the scent of this flower is the smell of rotting meat. Now, what happens is flies are attracted to the flower. So they all go into the flower. You think that would be clever. That's that's not the half of it. So as the sun goes down, the flower shuts on the flies. So the flies have gone into the flower. They're sitting there. They're not eating or anything. They're sitting there, you know, it's gone dark. What are we doing in here? During the night, in the dark, the flower pops Pollen pops in the dark, and the pollen all falls down on the flies. So sitting there thinking, what are we doing here? So the pollen comes down. When the sun comes up, the flower opens up, and the flies go off. That was a funny night. They go off <laughs> with the po- pollen on them until they find another one. Oh, there's another, because flies are stupid. Oh, there's another one here. <laughs> so, and they go in there and pollinate it. How does that evolve? How does that evolve? I rest my case. But also, also, what a wacky God we've got. I mean, what a wacky God. I mean, he doesn't say, right, there's three sorts of flowers. You can have a red one, a yellow one, or a green one, or a blue one. And they all work this way. That's how we do stuff, isn't it? If you want a 
you know, Big Mac, Super Mac, whatever. You've got four burgers. You can have cheese on it if you like. You know, that's what we do. It's nothing like that at all. He's just amazing. God is amazing. I mean, it, 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 it rubbishes evolution because it doesn't make any logical sense at all. Chance can't make it. How did chance do it? But on the other hand, it tells you that you think, our God is an amazing God. And sometimes he'll, he'll provide for you rather like that flower works. You think, is that complicated or not? Is that fun? It's sort of fun, but it's sort of like complicated. <laughs> but, you know, you know, actually, God is like that. Welcome to the world of the living God. And he will provide for you. And he will do amazing, miraculous things. But you have got to be ready to be humble and open. And ready for God's timings, God's mysteries, God's blessings coming through the most unlikely sources. Keep your eye open. It's exciting being a Christian. Don't think it's in black and white. It's not. It's not only in color, it's in 3D. And I tell you, you just hang on to your seat and live with God. And let's see how he'll provide and how he'll meet your needs. So in my last few minutes, because we don't have time for prayer, I do want to look at the widow. Because I want to take, I, I believe this dear lady has a whole journey of faith in this chapter. And, and I, actually, if you're not really a, a, a believer or a strong believer, this is, this is something you might learn from, but it is for all of us as well. But this lady goes through quite a journey herself. We've read half her story, but I'd like to finish it off quickly. So if you've got your chapter open, we'd, I'd read the rest of the story. Verse 17. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child, carried him down from the room into the house, gave him to his mother, and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. It's an interesting story, and it's worth, actually, a whole session. She's not going to get it, bless her, but I, I do feel there's some lessons there for just a few minutes as we're thinking about faith and being a people of faith. This lady is not what we would call from the church. She's not Elijah's Israelite. She is a Sidonian. So she is not of the covenant people of God. She's right outside it. The guy who rules her is Ethbal. Presumably uh, that had influence on her culture and how she lived. She's a Gentile. And actually, we see her go through a journey of faith here, which is quite interesting. In verse 9, which will go up, uh, 17.9, it says, Go at once to Zarephath. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So somehow she seems to have heard from God in some way. God's intervened in her life before she ever embraces faith in the God of Israel that we can understand. And I'll show you that in a minute. I would say, you know, if you're here on this weekend and you're in this room, I think you're at least at that point. You've got to spoken to you in some way. Some way God is on your case. You wouldn't really be locked in uh, to uh, this weekend with all us nutty Christians if there wasn't something that God had interested you in or spoken to you about. 
And that often does start. This woman has somehow, she's heard something. However, she is not personally engaged with it. She's not really um, uh, her faith. Verse 12 will go up, I think. I only want the first phrase, the whole verse we've read before. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied. So she does not see him as her God, but she recognizes something is real here. As surely as the Lord, but it's not that strong a thing, but it's your God. That's the phrase to notice. As surely as the Lord your God lives. So she is interested, she's engaged, something's going on in her life. And in a way, she's sort of prepared for this encounter in a mysterious way, obviously. But she doesn't see God as her God. She sees him as something. It's okay, Elijah's God. It's the Lord your God who lives. But her spark of faith is sufficient for her to respond to Elijah's encouragement. Just trust me. Do what you go and make the cake. Give me a bit of the cake. Eat the rest yourself. Keep looking. It's going to be enough. Every day, there's going to be enough to bake a cake. And so she sort of can go with that. And uh, so why, of course, she's fair-minded. She's open-minded. And there's a lot of people like that. You probably like it if you're here this morning. You know, you say, well, I, I can see that something buzzes with you. I can see there's something in this. Okay, um, I'll go along with it a bit. That's where she goes along with. Then she hits a terrible personal crisis. I, I'm probably running through these verses a little quick for you at the back. So well, I flicked over 15 uh, and I'd like to go on to 17, verse 18. Thank you, you've anticipated. Her son dies. Um, and that's a terrible personal crisis. Do you know, it's quite often like that. When you're seeking God, you get just the edge of it, or you, you're going to come to the Alpha, or you're going to come to church, and it just like seems like everything goes wrong. Everything goes wrong. And look at her heartfelt cry. What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? I think it's interesting. I'd love to know the story. What she mean, remind me of my sin? I mean, was this son a product of sin? Did she know that um, maybe he was a, a legitimate child? Who knows? I don't, we don't quite know. She's a widow. But there's something like, you know, what have you got against me? You come to remind me of my sin. I'm trying to forget my sin. I'm trying to forget my past. And actually, it's all going wrong. You know, it's getting worse, not better now. It's nice to have the food, but I'd rather have my son. And so I think often that is a reality in our journey of faith. It's, it's like God is quite, he doesn't play always softball. It's quite like, do you really want it? Are you going to go further? You know, we often preach the gospel and behave as though it's all like, please come to, please, please come to Jesus. He'll solve all your problems and we'll give you a free donut as well and all the rest of it. Like, actually... God doesn't see this. More sometimes, he's, Jesus does it. He says, um, dogs, you know, dogs can't eat the food for the children. That's another woman who's a Gentile, Syrophoenician woman. Please heal my daughter. Dogs can't have the children's food. I think, Jesus, you're supposed to be nice. And she says, she says, oh, but dogs can get the crumbs. Well done. So that's what he basically says, woman of faith. It's like, you know, faith is like that. God says, I mean faith. It's not a fun thing. It's not a like a pretend thing, you've got to press in. You've got to say, you've got to say, I need this. I want this. You know, we can't know. Every individual has to do that for themselves. No one can do that for you. We can bring you along. We can bake you the cake. But in the end, you've got to make the call. I, I want to follow your God. I want him to be my God. 
Now, she experiences an amazing miracle, which is great. And actually, we often do see breakthroughs and miracles. Also in your story, it may not be as dramatic as hers, but God will sometimes make his presence real to you in a way that is real for you, dramatic. You know, a job suddenly opens up or, that's amazing. You know, I prayed and God will meet you at your level. I just encourage you. So although things will get tougher sometimes, God loves to just begin to teach you to trust him. And something like that goes on with this woman. And her final statement in verse 24 is personal. Now I know the word of the Lord is the truth. It's the the last thing, I think. Verse, thank you, 24. The woman said, now I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. She gets to a personal place of saying, now I know this. I mean, she's, you think, didn't she know before? No, she didn't fully. She was following it through. She, she got the cakes. That made sense. Then she had a disaster that, that was horrible. She thought, this is, this is rubbish. What's going on now? Then she had the miracle, and somehow she got there. And I would say to you, that's probably going to ring bells with many of you who might have said, well, I've already come along along that way. But even some of you who are not yet following Jesus, I bet God's on your case. You wouldn't be here. And I encourage you to let God take you the whole way. Get to the point where it's not like with your wife or your husband or your friends saying, hey, you're God, the living God. Yeah, it's fun. But get to a place where you say, now I know I believe him. His word's the truth for me. You can do that this morning. You can do that over this weekend. I'm not going to be in great pressure. You've got to do it with me at all. You can just go and walk quietly and pray on your own around these lovely grounds or talk with your friend and say, I want to make this personal for me. It's time for me to come into a personal relationship with God. Can I encourage you to do that? And can I add to that encouragement this point? This woman is one of the many, many demonstrations of the grace of God. They're right through the Bible. God is a God of grace. She is a prophetic signpost. I can say that with utter confidence. Why can I say that? Because Jesus uses her. We're not going to look at it. I haven't got time. If you were to read in Luke 4, Jesus uses her as an example because, look, she's not an Israelite. She's a Sidonian, which is really off the wall in these days. And she's a widow, and she looks as though she's in some sort of sin, which she recognizes herself. But there's people like that all through the Bible. Rahab was not an Israelite. She was a prostitute in Jericho. There's all sorts of people all through the Bible. Hagar, even, who we talked about, Abraham. You find God graciously meeting her. God is a God of grace. And that's not just in the New Testament. It's just a load clearer in the New Testament. But actually, God is the God of, for you. It doesn't matter who you are, if you're born on the wrong side of the river or the wrong side of the tracks, whatever, God is for you. His door is open for you. Jesus, I mean, the first, John 4, yeah, trust me in this, you can read it for yourself. In John 4, Jesus makes the most extraordinary insights, gives the most extraordinary insights into worship, worship in spirit and truth, his own role as the Messiah, the new covenant, all sorts of stuff. Who does he tell it to? He tells it to a Gentile woman who's had five husbands and is living with a guy who's not a husband. He doesn't, you don't find him talking to Nicodemus or, you know, uh, one of the Pharisees. It's this woman, what are you doing? You're wasting it on her. You know, it's not, of course. He's demonstrating prophetically, this is the new covenant. Here's a woman, five husbands, living with a man who's not a husband, and I open my heart and show her all about me. 
And she says, it's a man who knows everything about me. And he's the Messiah. And she runs back and tells all her friends. That is what Jesus is like. And this woman is an Old Testament version. Exactly the same thing. God is a God of grace and mercy. He's not looking for you to perform well before he'll come and bless you. He meets you right where you are. Right where you are. It's outrageous, actually. Sometimes it doesn't look fair. And in fact, religious people don't like grace because it's not fair. You ought to get rewarded for being a good boy and doing everything right. It doesn't work that way. And so actually, when Jesus used this example in Luke 4, they got very angry because they knew what he was saying. He was saying, God's out for the widows of Zerapath types. Hey, you can't say that. They actually try and kill Jesus. I think you'll find if you read Luke 4, they really got angry because he used this woman as an example of the grace of God, actually an example of what he was here to do. That's what he's doing. And he's saying, I'm coming for people like this. So whoever you are, (laughs) God is for you. Whatever your background, there is hope in Jesus. He had that wonderful prophecy about hope yesterday. There's hope in Jesus, whoever you are, whatever situation. So as we finish, and we're going to finish, we've got some time. I think what we'd do, I I, I don't know if this will throw you if we had the worship band back. Would that be okay? Maybe worshipful songs rather than the great, whoa, let's go for it once. But they're, they're fun. I love them. But, you know, so we can hear ourselves think. But just, you know, reflective, reflective music. Bless you. Thank you. You know what I mean. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I mean, you know what I mean. You know, yeah. I, I'd like us to, I, I just want us to take a few minutes to, I've, I've thrown a lot of stuff at you this morning, but I hope, as it made sense, it's connected. But I want you just to let God speak into you what is for you. For one or two of you, maybe a few more, it might be, I really need to nail this and make the Lord my God. Now, if you do feel like that, we would happily pray with you this morning. Just so that you say, now I know it's for me. It's not just, uh, it's nice for you, but not for me. It's for me. And uh, others of you, I think it might be more, you need a bit of prayer for perhaps a sort of Elijah experience. Maybe it's been like being in a deep, dark valley with ravens feeding you. And you just need to be strengthened and encouraged that God's with you in it. God will take you on to the next stage. Maybe, and I felt to emphasize this, you felt I'm being poured from vessel to vessel. It's been like a pouring. And I think it's just to say to you, you know, God's going to strengthen you in that and purify you. But often it's good. We need each other. This isn't all just individual stuff. We, we'd like to pray. So if you feel you've been going through a lot of pouring recently, or if you feel, um, you know, it's a bit of a valley, I think it's a time for praying. Just stay, We've got 20 minutes before lunch. Let's pray as these dear people lead us in some more worshipful, just quiet, worshipful music.